Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. When you take your eyes off the Lord, it's easy to get worried. Okay? That's my experience. I take my eyes off the Lord, it's like an instant anxiety will take over. Fear will take over. Confusion creeps in. Doubt. But it happens the moment I take my eyes off of him. It just does. And I'm going to be real with you. That's, that's something that I wrestle with daily. Keep your eyes on him, the author and finisher of your faith. Keep your eyes on the Lord. In today's message from Pastor James, he explains to you that fixing your eyes on the Lord helps you keep a peaceful mind and heart. When you start to take your eyes off the Lord, it becomes easy for fear and anxiety to creep in. It becomes harder to not worry about the things that matter to you. Pastor James urges you to turn your heart back to the Lord through prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember that God is the author and finisher of your faith. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 6 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. God, I, I understand that. This week has been one of those weeks for me and my family. We're like, seriously? Okay. What else, God? What else? What else? Like, you're trying to teach me a lesson. I don't know what it is, but can you just get it over with? Like, seriously? Like, yes, I trust you. I think. Now I question that. Like, do I really trust you? I don't know. It's difficult. It's a difficult journey, but he's got you. He's got you. They refuse, they thrust him aside, they turn their hearts to Egypt. Verse 40, saying to Aaron, Moses' brother, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. This guy's probably dead. We haven't seen him for who knows how long on Mount Sinai. God has probably killed him because he's done something wrong. We're all out here suffering from his mistake. God, Aaron, we need some gods, lowercase g, kind of like what we saw in Egypt. Well, what's wrong with capital G? Well, what's wrong with him? No, 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 he's not doing anything. Well, what about that food you had this morning? What about all the water that's in the wilderness that he just makes appear? No, 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 it's not, we can't see him, we can't touch him, we, he's not tangible, we need something we can see. Aaron consented to it, okay? He did consent to it. And they did make a God, they, they made a little, a little calf. It says, um, and they contributed all. They, man, they, they all went on, you know, gold and all that good stuff. Verse 41, it says, they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Stephen is just exposing to these guys, this, this, is, this is the issue you have? This is the guy you want to elevate above Jesus? Moses is a great man. He's a great man of God, used tremendously, called not only the most beautiful baby to ever exist, but the whole, most humble man to ever exist. Both said in the word of God. And Stephen's like, wait a minute. Don't you guys remember the stories? Don't you, rem don't you know our history? God's always been moving. He's always been doing something. And when he has shown up and done something, you've rejected it. Even with Moses, you rejected it. By our fathers, it means that we're doing the same thing. We set up idols, 
And we would rather worship these things than the God who created everything. If you don't remember the story, maybe it'll show on TV. I don't know when the Ten Commandments happens. I know for sure on Easter, Charlton Heston, right? You guys remember that one? It probably will show up pretty soon too because Christmas is coming. But uh, Moses takes those tablets, throws them down, demolishes the golden calf, and then makes them drink it. Makes them drink it. You want to feel it? You want to see it? How about you taste it, right? Like, how about you do that? Is that healthy? I have no idea, but it's pretty cool, right? Like, Moses is like, dude, I'm just done with you guys. Like, I've had it. He prayed, he prayed probably several times, like, God, can you, like, either take them out or take me out? Like, I don't know. Which, I don't care which one, God, um, either me or them. Like, can you do something here? But they gave themselves over. They rejoiced, not in God and not in his provisions and not in each and every step of the way. Their clothes never wore out. Their sandals never wore out. How does that happen? 40 years wandering in the wilderness, you never had to buy a new pair of shoes. How, how does that happen, right? Like, I, my kids, I, you, you guys know that. Like, my kids, I don't, clothes don't even last in my house with my kids. I'm like, how did, what happened? Who was, what animal attacked you? Like, nothing. Just their kids. For all that wilderness wandering, they had nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Everything was provided for them. When you take your eyes off the Lord, it's easy to get worried. Okay? That's my experience. I take my eyes off the Lord, it's like an instant anxiety will take over. Fear will take over. Confusion creeps in. Doubt. But it happens the moment I take my eyes off of him. It just does. And I'm going to be real with you. That's, that's something that I wrestle with daily. Keep your eyes on him, the author and finisher of your faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 42, but God turned away and gave them over to the worship to worship the host of heaven, the, the creation. They, they should have been worshiping the creator. He gave them over to worship creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices, sacrifices during the 40 years of, in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch. Moloch, if you don't know, that's a God who common worship practices for him was to present your infant child onto his outstretched arms that are over a fire so that you would burn your babies alive to this false God. They rejoiced. They rejoiced at their idolatry. Stephen's like, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about our history. Let's talk about it. Let's be real. Let's talk about it. It's not pretty. It's not. You want to talk about church history? Let's talk about it. Have we always gotten it right? No. It's not pretty. Not at all. But we could talk about it. What's the point of it? The point of it and the point of this story is Jesus is king and he can take a bunch of knuckleheads and people who mess it up all the time and do something great with that. Because Jesus is great, not because we're great. Did you bring me sacrifices in the wilderness, Israel? No, you didn't, okay? No. Uh, instead, you brought sacrifices to these false gods, to Moloch, the, and the star of your god, Rephan, which would be a, a god of um, sexual immorality, okay? You're going to sacrifice your babies, you're gonna, you'll rejoice in, in worshiping this God of, of sexuality, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And he did fulfill that. But that started back in the wilderness. He said, listen, this isn't how it's supposed to be. You either worship me, but if you want to choose to worship all these other things, you'll be carried away. You'll be carried off. And they were. Verse 44, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness 
just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. This is the whole tabernacle that they set up, which was just a, a model, so to speak. Verse 45, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua, and then they dis, uh, disposed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So now we go from Exodus and you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those into the book of Joshua. Uh, and he transitions from there, like God cleared out the land, the fathers, the, the nations helped with that. So it was until the days of David, verse 46, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. He wanted to build God a house. But it was Solomon, David's son, who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Okay? If we think we're that awesome, just remember, in the living room of God, we're the footstool, okay? We're the thing he places his feet on, all right? Just so you know, okay? Sometimes it feels like we're maybe the entertainment center, because I know he's, he's got to be getting a kick out of, like, just how, how silly it is sometimes, but he's like, no, you're my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what, what is the place of my rest? Did not, did not my hands make all of these things? They, did, they would go to build a temple for him. Solomon would build a temple. It was an amazing temple. He'd get destroyed, and then they would rebuild another one, to which it was destroyed, and they will rebuild another one, probably sooner than what we realize, probably sooner than what we realize. There in Jerusalem, a new temple will be built. I'm going to tell you right now, three times being over there, they're ready to build the temple. They're ready. They could start it today. They have all the instruments. They have everything that they possibly could need in the temple for it to happen. All they need is an agreement of where it should be. That's all they're looking for. But they're ready to build a temple, another one now. Verse 51, here's where he loses his audience, okay? If you're a pastor, if you're preaching, this is where it's like, oh, when you had them, they're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, we've, we've had a rough past. I mean, we get it, we get it. But we're decent. We're decent people. We're good people. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, <laughs> you, you, you stiff-necked people, like you stubborn people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You stubborn people. And they're like, what? Hold on now. Hold on. We were with you up until there. He's like, no, you don't get it. I don't care if you've physically been circumcised. It means nothing. It means nothing if your heart hasn't been circumcised. And they know that. They know that. They have, just like we do, they have the book of Ezekiel, which speaks of that. You don't need, it's not a physical circumcision. You need a new heart. You stiff-necked. You stubborn people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did our fathers not persecute? Do your own church history there. They killed them all. They killed them all. All the prophets. They slaughtered them. These guys show up and God's using them to speak truth. And it wasn't always things that they wanted to hear, but it's what they needed to hear. And the response to most of those guys was kill them. Kill them. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as it was delivered by angels and did not keep it. You place a great, uh, 
you, you place the, the law on a high pedestal, yet you don't even care about it. You don't even live by it. You don't even live by it. Yet you make it this, you know, we're going to put on this, the pedestal and all this stuff, and he's like, you received it, delivered by angels, but why don't you live it? Why don't you live it? I mean, if the Bible is that important to you, then why aren't you living it? That's not just a sharp jab for them. That's a sharp jab for me. Because if I can take a step back from placing myself in that scene and see, if, what if it's Stephen addressing James? He says, hey, you love the Bible. Are you living it? Are you living it? Ugh. Am I doing it perfectly? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. What we have to be on guard especially as Christians and showing up and doing church and all that good stuff, what we have to be on guard of is turning into Pharisees, guys who, who they, they know the word so well, but it's, it doesn't make a difference in here. It doesn't make a difference in here. The thing I have to be on constant guard in my own personal relationship with Jesus, which is going on 21 years now, the thing that I still have to be on guard of is this thing becoming dull to my senses, not because it's, it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. The problem's not with the word. The problem is oftentimes with my own heart. And may I be on guard of becoming dull to him and what he has said. Verse 54, and here's the, look at that, man, my goodness, you guys are, you guys have been so good. I know that's a lot of verses, but we made it. Um, but this is a finish line right here. Uh, it's not going to end the way we, we maybe think it should. Okay, but verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they prayed and repented and cried out and asked for forgiveness. No, they cried out for sure. It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. Or maybe, maybe you yourself have been around somebody like that. But when you're grinding your teeth, when you're gnashing your teeth, I'm going to tell you, you're in a whole other state. You are beyond anger. You are beyond anger. I, I don't even know if there's a good English term to describe the amount of hatred that is flowing through that person's body at that moment to where you will grind your own teeth because you were so enraged at somebody. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have. I would hope and pray that that's, you know, against things that are maybe unjust and unholy, okay? They hear what he has to say, and the moment he brings up Jesus and their responsibility in the story, which is now the third time that they have heard this from this group of misfits, they're grinding their teeth because they are so enraged. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. My goodness. He just dropped the truth bomb on these guys. He just walked them through the Old Testament. And he can sense it. He can feel it. He's hearing the things that they're saying. And he doesn't even care. Because where are his eyes? Uh, let them say what they want to say. Let them say what they want to say. Let them gnash their teeth at you. Let them say what they want to say. You look up. You keep your eyes fixed up there. Because what we fail to realize in the midst of all of this, and 
you're just trying to, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just serving God, and he got in trouble with religious people. He didn't do anything wrong. Let them speak. Let them say what they want to say. Your eyes are fixed on him, the author and finisher, the author and perfecter of your faith. You stay fixed on him. You stay focused on him. Let them speak. Let them say what they want to say. Who cares? Who cares? Let them do their worst. But what if they kill me? Let them do it. What? What are we worried about? And a million things flood into my brain of things that I'm worried about. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. You certainly don't have to be afraid of man. Jesus even told his disciples, he said, listen, you don't fear man. If you should fear anyone, fear God. That's reverence, holiness. No, 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 no. Fear God because he can take you out when he wants to. I'm not saying he's going to, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Here's Stephen. He knows. He knows this is the finish line for him. This is it. Curtain call for Stephen. And you can read through, you can read through the Acts chapter 6 and you're like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. That's such wasted potential. I mean, imagine what God could have done with him if he just let him live and all that stuff. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I don't always understand the way God does things and when and how. And I don't get it. But all I know is that this moment, this man fulfilled his calling, ran his race. We don't even know how old he was. He's probably maybe in his 30s, maybe. And what we would maybe think of is like, man, what a waste. No, no, no. What a story. What a story. Because what we don't understand, what we can't see is the big picture. We can't see the big picture. I, I would think like, man, imagine what God could have done with Stephen and all that stuff. No, see, God did amazing things through Stephen. He did. And just because Stephen died doesn't mean that the work died. In fact, Stephen, kind of like you'll see on that screen in front of you, there's, there's a match. And it's been lit that's Stephen. That's the ignition. That's the spark for the world to be turned upside down. And there's one man in the audience. He's the one. The baton gets passed to him. But it can't get past him unless Stephen has run, ran his race. It may not end like we think it should, but it ended, it is going to end exactly as God planned it to. As God, as exactly as God had planned it to. This statement, he says, he's like, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Whoa, sealed his fate right there. Sealed his fate right there. That is, for these guys, for that audience, this is blasphemy. This is speaking against God. This is the same thing that they brought up about Jesus. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, did this thing so they could hear him, stop hearing him testify, and rushed together, they were in unity, at him. Then they cast him out of the city because they can't murder him in the city. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. So how they would do this is uh, usually it's like a pit and they would be above him. So you have nowhere to go. You can't escape. And, and just so you, you understand this, this isn't like, a dozen guys hurling stones at this guy. There, there could be upwards of, there's 72 members of this council. So at least you have 72 
grown men hurling stones as hard as they can and as fast as they can at this guy. There's probably over 100 people there. Probably over 100 people there. He's, got, he's surrounded. Envision that. Put yourself there. He's in a pit, and everywhere around him, religious people throwing stones. But as they're, as they're, they're throwing, I mean, massive stones, massive rocks, as, they, as they're hurling these things at him, it says the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who was a member of that church, who's watching his pastors, quote unquote, pick up the stones and kill this guy. And he is perfectly fine with it. He's like, yeah, I'll hold your coats. I'll hold your coats. I got you. Get this traitor. Get this rebel. Says, and was, uh, as they were stoning Stephen, he, Stephen, called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit as rocks are pelting him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Come get me, Jesus. Here I am. Here I am. Not like, Jesus, save me. Jesus, protect me. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. What an amazing testimony. I'm ready. He's not like, no, Lord, give me a few more years. I haven't even, I haven't even experienced all this. He's like, I'm here, Jesus. I'm ready. Take me. I'm yours. I'm all yours. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, the thing that will blow all of us away, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Famous last words. Famous last words. So then he said this and he fell asleep. He didn't die. He fell asleep. You fall asleep and you wake up in the presence of the Lord. Incredible. And only a Holy Spirit-filled person can do this. Only a Holy Spirit-filled person can do this, where you are taking the largest of hits, the largest of stones as people are hurling them at you simply because you just want to follow Jesus to hit your knees and for your prayer, your prayer to be, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's exactly what Jesus said. It's exactly what Jesus said as they were dividing his garments and gambling over his garments. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen a disciple of Jesus prayed just like Jesus. And I would encourage you, you guys, myself as well, as the church, may we look like Jesus, so to speak. May we act like Jesus. May we pray like Jesus. May we pray like Jesus. Even when in that circumstance, I'd be like, God, get them. Like, what are you waiting for? Like, get them. Kick their teeth in. Like, I'm praying the Psalms. I'm praying like David's Psalms. I'm like, kick their teeth in, Lord. Get them. Lord, change my heart to, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold them against them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. What a man. What a testimony. And I tell you this, that's the spark for the gospel to go out into Judea, Samaria, and the other most ends of the world. Because Saul, who was there, was forever. This was something. Don't, don't miss it. I don't care if he was holding their coats. This was something that was planted in his heart and in his mind that he was wrestling with. We'll see it in, in a little bit. He was wrestling with this until the day he met Jesus. Stephen's life was not wasted. It was not wasted. Your life is not wasted. As Billy said at the beginning of the scripture reading, Psalm, or Jeremiah 29, God does have a plan for you. He does have a plan for you. He wants to use you. He will do that. The key to that whole thing is, Okay, now you turn to him and pray to him. Pray to him. Say, all right, Lord, you got a plan for me? I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to trust you. Even if it defies logic, I'm going to trust you because why? Because he is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken heart.
That's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James Grizzle teaches through the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again or listen to more verse-by-verse teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Teachings tab. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. At Calvary Galveston, we strive to love and live as Jesus did. We're just ordinary people discovering extraordinary truths from the Bible together. As we continue to journey through the book of Acts, our prayer is that your faith is inspired to move, that when you read about the early church, you rediscover the purpose that God has for your life. You might think you're just ordinary, but God sees you deeper and He knows that you're more than that. Being obedient to the calling that God has on your life might not always make sense, but God blesses those who are faithful to answer His call. And you never know what incredible things God has in store when you freely say, Yes, Lord. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit. Or if you're looking for a new church home, you're always welcome. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to start the week out right with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. Find out more and plan your visit by going to our website, breadforthebroken.com. As you go throughout the rest of your day, may you find hope and new life in Jesus.